All right, church family, open up in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As the passage we're going to look at this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're picking up at verse 16 and going right through to the end of the chapter. If you got to church without a Bible, you can grab one in the seat in front of you. It'll be helpful for you to follow along. Now, it may seem as though we handpicked this verse for today because it's Baptism Sunday, but actually this was one of those providential moments where God makes us look smarter than we actually are. We committed to preaching through 2 Corinthians a while ago, and uh, then we just, you know, we picked a baptism Sunday and said Pentecost would be a great Sunday to do that, and then as it was shaping up, we noticed, we're like, wow, God has appointed that this passage would be read and preached on this Sunday when we are celebrating the sacrament of baptism that is a picture of this very reality, that if anyone, hear this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And friends, all of this is from God. Did you hear that when Norma was reading it? What a powerful passage for Baptism Sunday. Well, without any further ado, I trust you're at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, and we'll jump right in. Look at verse 16. Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. But no longer. That provides us with the framework for this entire passage this morning. And perhaps that framework is the defining trait for a Christian man or woman. But no longer. This statement of but no longer really takes the Christian life and divides it right down the middle. It creates a cusp or a tipping point, a before and after, if you will. For the Christian man or woman, you have a life that was before Christ, and then you have a life That is in Christ. And those two lives for the Christian man or woman are so radically different. They're so different that they don't feel like a long time ago, but it actually feels like an entirely different life. You know, similar cast of characters, similar sets, but a completely different life. That's kind of the way life works, isn't it? With momentous things. You begin to define your life entirely as before that thing or after it. I saw this happen with my maternal grandmother, my Nana. Oh, how I love and miss my Nana. And she defined her entire life as before the war or after the war, right? Perhaps you had the similar experience. Or in my own life, I I just, we just commemorated the 12th anniversary of the passing of my first wife. And I often define my life as before Rhonda passed or after. It doesn't feel like a long time ago. It feels like a completely different life. Or maybe that's the way COVID will happen, you know? All of these days and years and months have like sort of bled together. And so when Monica and I are talking about things, I'll say, well, that was before COVID, right? Or after COVID. There's this sense where there are these momentous times in our life that create a stake in the ground that divide before and after. 
Well, that's what Paul is giving us as a framework to think about the reality of our Christian life. That before, we were self-centered. But now, our lives are centered on Jesus Christ. Before, everything in your life was about you. All me, all the time. But from now on, Christ. Who he is. What he has done for me. What he's done in me. And what he's doing through me. If you are a Christian person, you will have that experience before and after. Now, to be sure, for some of us, it's a sudden moment. You know, you could perhaps say, on May 23rd, 1996, I responded to an altar call and I was saved. My life before, my life after. For others of us, the process of coming to faith in Jesus Christ is more of a gradual transition in which we are eventually converted and saved and born again. And so maybe you can't point to a moment, but every Christian person should be able to see their life as before Christ and in Christ, because a radical change has occurred. So that's the framework for this passage. In verses 16 to 17, Paul sets out changes that occur in the life of a Christian that mark this continental divide, this shift. Look at the first one. Verse 16, Paul's telling the Corinthians and us that the first change that occurs that will mark this before and after life of the Christian, you will have a radical change in the way that you see others, right? Is that what verse 16 says? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. It may be true that in our world today, this phenomenon of othering has become a big problem. We've been told that we need to see the world in terms of us and them. This is the secular framework, and it's trending in a particular direction. The framework that we're given in terms of seeing and dealing with others is to no longer see them as individual people, but rather primarily as part of an identity group and to lump people all together, because it's so much easier to dismiss people as a part of a group than to actually deal with them as individuals and people. The process of othering. Our secular narrative, our before narrative, is to see people in terms of good or bad. You know, good people are people who think like me and vote like me. Bad people is everyone else, right? That's the before. To see people as smart if they agree with me and stupid if they don't. To see people as loving and compassionate and enlightened if they agree with me, but selfish and obtuse if they disagree with me. That's before how we see others. But Paul tells the Corinthians, nope, not anymore. He says, no longer. From now on, Paul says, you don't regard anyone according to the flesh. What's he saying? 
He's saying that when you become a Christian person, one of the things that will delineate your life as before and after is the way that you see and deal with other people. Before, you used to see them and categorize them based on outer things, according to the flesh. But no longer, Paul says. No longer by outer traits. So how instead should you regard them, to use this language? Well, there's a key word in verse 16. Look at it right at the beginning. It's the word therefore. And the therefore refers back to chapter 5, verse 14 to 15. So look at that in your Bibles. This is how you are to regard others. Not according to the flesh, but according to this. Chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul's saying a Christian person will look at their life as before and after, and one of those defining things will be how they treat others, You used to treat others according to the flesh. But now the metric that you apply when you look at any other person is captured in this lens. Chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. First, when you look at others, you will be controlled by and compelled by love. You see that in verse 14? When you regard another person, you will start by assuming the best about them and giving them the benefit of the doubt. You will care more about them than you'll care about winning the present argument at hand. You'll be controlled by and compelled by love. The second thing that marks this new way of dealing with people is that you will regard them not according to the flesh, but, to the, but by the Spirit. That means that your primary concern now as a Christian when you're dealing with other people is no longer about the outer things, but this central question, are they born again? That's the driving force that will compel your interpersonal relationships? Have they received this gospel, the gospel that one died for all? Okay, let's back away from this. This is the first change that will mark this new life for you in Christ. Before, you used to regard others by the flesh, outwardly, but now no longer so. Continue with verse 16, and you'll see the second thing that's changed. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So the first change that happens is you will see others differently. The second thing that happens is you will see Jesus Christ differently. Perhaps before you thought of him as a good teacher one of many luminaries. But your new life in Christ will be noticeable for this. 
how you see Jesus. Friends, when you are converted, when you are born again, when you're saved, you used to have various thoughts and feelings about Jesus. And maybe those feelings range somewhere from indifference and apathy to outright hostility. Paul says, even though you once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Maybe in your past life, before you were a Christian, you thought of Jesus as quaint or cute, right? Think about Jesus and the image that comes to mind is a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. Maybe you thought about him in cultural terms. You think, well, Jesus, you know, that's a good excuse to go to church once a year and hide Easter eggs all around the house. But now that you are born again, you regard him thus no longer. Now that you're born again, you see that he is your Savior and your Lord. A radical shift has taken place. Now you look at him as your Lord and Master and King of the universe. Now you look at him and you see your Savior, the one who's redeemed you by paying the price that was duly owed for your sin. Well, Paul's saying before, you regarded Christ outwardly. But now, look at verse 19. You look to Jesus and you see him differently. You see in him that God is reconciling the world to himself. So Paul is building this picture of the Christian life in terms of before and after. The first thing that he says is, before you used to regard others according to the flesh, no longer. He says, before you used to regard Jesus Christ according to the flesh, no longer. And the third one in verse 17, there's a marked change in the way that you see yourself. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see yourself as a new creation in Christ. Now, church family, this is key. A Christian man or woman is someone who says with humble, joy-filled gratitude and confidence, I am not the person that I used to be. Because of Jesus. I remember being a young man and a guy who was influential in my life. His name was Walter Kimmerly. His faith has since become sight. This old German guy who came here as an immigrant with not two pennies to rub together and he became a good friend for me and encouragement. I remember sitting in his office one time and North York, and he was telling me the story of his life and how he lived a debauched life for the first 20-some years of his life, just given over to all worldly pleasures, you know, fill in the blanks. But then how someone shared the gospel with him and how his life radically changed. And he said to me, he said, Ray David, do you know what my favorite verse in the entire Bible is? I said, no, Walter, what is it? 
with tears in his eyes, he said, For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. The third thing that will mark this new life for you in Christ is not only a change in the way you see others and a change in the way you see Jesus, but a change in the way you see yourself. If anyone's in Christ, the old self, the sins that defined that old self, the old habits, the shame and the guilt, it's gone. You're a new creation. This language of new creation brings so much hope and strength to the Christian life because Paul doesn't say that God in Jesus Christ is going to give you an opportunity so that you can become a better version of yourself. That's not what he's saying. In golf terms, it's not a mulligan off the tee. It's a fresh scorecard where all the holes have been filled in and they're all holes in one. You scored a round of 18. Because God in Jesus Christ did it for you and grants your, his perfect record. A new creation in Christ. Not an opportunity to start over again and try it again. See, the opportunity for a fresh start is not good news at all. If all God does in the gospel is cause us to have a mulligan or a tryover, well, we would just mess it up again, wouldn't we? Not another chance, but a new self. That's what Paul says. A new creation in Christ. Oh, friend, feel the weight of that this morning. That's a game changer. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, Paul is painting this picture that the old man, the old woman, the person that you used to be, that person doesn't even exist anymore. That's dead and gone. The old has passed away, the new has come. So Paul has been painting this big cosmic picture as well as the personal picture over the last few verses. And he's, he's connecting these two ideas very clearly. Paul is saying that in the same way that God in Jesus Christ is ushering in a new creation, okay, new heavens and new earth, that God has in Christ caused you to be born again and newly created. What God is doing on a macro, universal, cosmic scale, he has already done in you now. The old has passed away. The new has come. And that's why the Christian man or woman can say boldly, I'm not the person I used to be. That person doesn't even exist anymore. That old person has passed away and God has made me new in Jesus Christ. There's a before and after. In that before and after, Paul tells us, you're going to see others differently, you're going to see Jesus Christ differently, and you're going to see yourself differently. I want to press a little bit more into this because I think it really matters 
at a personal pastoral level. When you see yourself differently as a new creation in Christ, it affects at least three different time perspectives when you think about yourself, okay? The first thing that it changes is the past. When a Christian man or woman is born again and is made a new creation in Christ, they look back at their past life, but without any, any guilt or shame. All of the guilt and shame has been swallowed up. Whenever you begin to feel that guilt and shame, the gospel reminds you that that's not who you are anymore. The old has passed away. The new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. And so when God looks at you, he sees a new creation. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your sins from you. Changes the way you see yourself. When that guilt and shame begin to rear their ugly head, you need to confess it to someone. Someone trustworthy that's going to remind you of this gospel truth. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That old has passed away. The new has come. No more guilt and shame from the past. It also changes the way you see yourself in the present moment. You know, if you're a, a Christian man or woman, you would know this very well, that you still, from time to time, fall into sin. But here's the gospel change. It means that when you slip into sin, that's not who you are anymore. You are acting out of character. See, before, sin was your tendency. It was your nature. It's who you were. When you were sinning, you were given it all from your heart. But now in the present moment, as a Christian person, God has canceled the power of sin in your life, in Jesus, and so sin no longer defines you. You fall into sin, you quickly repent, and your gratitude is pointed towards God because you say, well, that's not who I am anymore. Your past, your present, and your future. To be a new creation in Christ means that your future trajectory has been entirely altered. Your future used to be pointed towards the grave and hell and destruction and wrath. But now it's pointed towards hope and glory. God in Jesus Christ has not only changed your life, but he's changed your end. So if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, friends, the new has come. What better passage for Baptism Sunday? In baptism, one of the modes that we use is to plunge people under the water and bring them back up. Because it's a, a picture. Paul talks about this in Romans, that in baptism, you are buried with Christ in his death, and you are raised to new life. 
The old has passed away. The new has come. That person that you used to be doesn't even exist anymore. All right, tracking along with Paul. Three changes that occur that will mark this before and after for you. You're going to treat others differently and see them differently. You're going to see Jesus differently, and you're going to see yourself differently. Let's finish with verses 18 to 20. In verses 18 to 21, Paul talks about the source of this change or the cause of this before and after reality. If anyone is in Christ, verse 17, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come, verse 18. And all of this is from God. God's work. God is the one who has reconciled us as sinners to himself through Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, you and I used to be alienated from God. You know, we weren't on speaking terms. But now we've been reconciled to him. And you know, it's just like your interpersonal relationships. Reconciliation doesn't just happen by default or on its own. Whenever there is alienation in relationships, one party has to take the initiative to sacrifice their ego, to sacrifice their right to be right, and turn towards the other and pursue reconciliation. That's the only way that reconciliation happens. And Paul wants every Christian to be clear on this. If you are a Christian man or woman, if your life is marked by before and after, if you are in Christ, it's not because you move toward him. It's because he in Jesus moved toward you. All of this is from God. In a few moments, some of our baptism candidates are going to give a brief testimony. And so I was thinking about my own testimony, and you know, I could tell you the account and the story of being raised in a godly Christian home. I could tell you the story about responding to the gospel at the tender age of four, knowing myself to be a sinner and knowing myself in need of a savior. But I want to tell you my testimony from this perspective. All of this is from God. This is my testimony. I was chosen from before the foundation of the world by the Father who set his affection on me and set me aside for myself, for himself. I was saved when God the Son gave his life as a ransom for mine on the cross and so God's wrath that I duly deserved was satisfied. I was caused to die to sin and made alive to Christ when the Spirit granted me faith to believe the gospel and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, giving me new life and generating my new birth in Christ. Because all of this is from God. And you know, friends, that's good news. In a world where everyone's vying for credit, 
right? Competing with others to say, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. It's actually good news that your new create, you being a new creation is from God. Because it means that you're not saved by the consistency of your own will towards him. You're saved by his hold on you. All of this is from God. It means that once God sets his affection upon you in Jesus Christ and lays hold of you, you aren't strong enough to fall away. All of this is from God. And so in the baptism, you're going to hear promises being made, and some of them are from the candidates making promises to God in front of the church. But the promises that really matter in baptism are the promises that God makes to us. Those are the ones that are unshakable. All of this is from him. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Verse 19, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry, this message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. There's a whole sermon in that, but let's just move on. How does this happen? Look at verse 21. Your life as a Christian is marked by before and after. And all of this is from God. And this is how God did it. Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer in the 16th century, called this the great or blessed exchange. His friends, this is pure gospel. That God has done two things simultaneously in Jesus Christ. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. This means that if you are sitting here today and you are a new creation in Christ, that all of your accrued sin and all of the wrath that is deserved to that was borne by the sinless Son of God on the cross for you. That's the first exchange. Your sin, he takes on. And then the second exchange, so that we might become the righteousness of God. All the righteousness that is Jesus is then transferred to you. And so the Christian person doesn't merely stand before God sinless, although that would be good, wouldn't it? A Christian person stands before God sinless, their sin has been transferred to the Son, He's paid the price, and righteous. <laughs> it means that when God looks at you, he no longer sees all of your sins and faults and shortcomings. But when God looks at you, he sees the Son. 
all of that righteousness that is in Jesus Christ by fact is now yours by faith. And so, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. That when the gospel is preached, the Spirit convicts, the Spirit glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father. God, I pray for everyone here this morning, and especially for those who are being baptized or reaffirming their baptism, that the truth of this, being born again and being new creations in Christ, would shape their hearts and their lives and fill them with overflowing gratitude to the good God who has saved them in Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.